Super Talk Mississippi media production. Running a business is tough. If you're struggling with HR benefits and payroll, you're not alone. Many businesses just don't have the resources to keep up. That's where MWG Employer Services comes in. We provide a full range of employer services with everything from payroll to benefits to HR services and compliance and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. We're a Mississippi-based company that can help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Call MWG Employer Services today at 601-206-7966 or go to MWG Employer Services You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. What's up? Sports Talk Mississippi on Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to you. Hope you and your family and friends and everybody that uh, is important to you have had a great day. We're glad to be with you on Sports Talk Mississippi in the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort, home of the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club. If perhaps you have forgotten to take care of a little happy for your Valentine. Think about a gift certificate to Dancing Rabbit Golf. You can book a tee time, plan a trip online at DancingRabbitGolf.com, or you can just give them a call and let them help you through the process. It is easy. Two 18-hole championship golf courses, the Oaks and the Azaleas, and they are ready for you. And uh, as long as it's not raining, like uh, it looks like it's about to do in a bunch of parts of Mississippi, then you're good to go. Check them out online, DancingRabbitGolf.com. You can be a part of the conversation, and we would love for you to do just that on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Give your business the edge with gigabit fiber internet from C Spire Business, again, online at cspire.com slash business. Alongside Michael Borky and Brian Haydad, in a hat today, no less. Look at that. Pulled the old Giants hat out. He's feeling baseball season with pitchers and catchers reporting this weekend. Is that a shirt also? I am doubled up today. Wow, look at him. He doubled up on the Giants gear. I hear you. Any particular occasion or like just... Just happened to be what I'm wearing. Just, just. I'm I'm not feeling well, so I wanted to dress comfortable today. Uh, Oh, I'm sure there was a joke there to be made about the Giants, but I didn't. I didn't. Hey, maybe it's their year. They have made me sick in the past. There is mm. nothing better than the optimism going into a season. Your team could stink. Like, if the Saints don't get Derek Carr, there's a report today that they are looking into Baker Mayfield. I mean, the Aaron Rodgers, like, sitting in a dark room for four days thing sounded ridiculous until I read that report. Now it's like, you know what? Maybe four days in a dark room would be great if we end up with Baker Mayfield. But what will I do in August? I will talk myself into thinking, you know, Baker Mayfield's at his moments. You never know. The preseason optimism is the best because your team hasn't lost yet. It's the best. Embrace it. Yeah. 
I mean, even if you're a fan of <coughs> who? The Giants. Just kidding. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm talking about a team that's got like that's fair. likely no hope going into the year. The Pittsburgh Pirates. Pirates. They've got the one guy, though, that's worth watching. Cincinnati Reds. Yeah. Uh, Despite having Marlins two electric players, the Angels. Yeah, I mean, you, you just keep thinking at some point, maybe maybe it'll make sense for the Angels. Maybe, maybe they'll get it right. Maybe. There's a lot of hope in a lot of places if you're big league fans. The Orioles played better last year. They were in contention down the stretch. The Marlins showed some signs of progress last season. Texas Rangers have got uh, get some really nice young players in their system, made a couple of moves in the offseason. It still is sad to know that the Orange Bowl, the real Orange Bowl, got torn down to build that stadium that nobody sits in. And I know it's Miami. There's so much to do in Miami. I get it. I get it. I get it. Right? Miami's awesome. Yeah. A lot of crypto yeah. and a lot of something else that starts uh, with a C that's white in, in Miami. I get it. But okay. iconic venue, the Orange Bowl, why did that have to get torn down? They, they could have built that stadium that anywhere. Spot? Yes. I mean, you get, I, mean I, I remember... They just built it on a big boat and it had a floating stadium. You know? I'm in. Maybe, I'm in. It's not like it would have impacted attendance at all. Yeah. I mean, seriously. It's the Rays, the Marlins. There's a couple of other major league teams that report higher attendance. And it's not like this every week or every game here because midweek games are truly like attended by a thousand people or less. But routinely on weekends, Ole Miss and Mississippi State, and sometimes Southern Miss, outdraw the Tampa Bay Rays and the Miami Marlins. This past season, basically every Cincinnati Reds game. Like That is a real thing. And the crazy thing about that is um, the TV ratings for those teams and their markets are really high. It's not that people don't like the teams. It's just that people don't like going to their games or can't be bothered to go to their games. For the Rays, people show up on opening day and they'll show up in the playoffs. Kind of. Like, you got to get deep into the playoffs for them to really show up. You ever been there? I, I have a friend that went no. and said it's a horrible place to watch a game and hard to yeah. get to. Yeah, bad building. Bad building. It's not It's not convenient to Tampa. Uh, it's like a 45-minute drive from Tampa. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing to do I mean, it. hey, even the Boston Red Sox fans have got hope right now. Season hasn't started yet. Exactly. <laughs> that was yeah, so much I like fun. That. I like that. That was so much fun. Uh, baseball. Plenty of baseball to talk about this afternoon, including a really significant change or series of changes to college baseball. I think all three of us, I know all three of us are college baseball fans. One of us is a bigger college baseball fan, like overall, like all of college baseball than just local teams. That, that's me. Yeah, we, we know that. We know the score on that. 
But all of us like college baseball, and all of us follow it closely. And I think all three of us, and I think most of you would agree that college baseball games take too long. There's no reason that we should be at the ballpark for a non-rain-delayed game for between three and a half and four and a half hours. You ought to be able to play a normal nine-inning game somewhere between 250 and three and a half, 315. I don't think that's too much to ask. And finally, some of the people that are overseeing college baseball agree. And there are some significant changes that are in place. And they have to do with clocks, which baseball traditionally has not had other than on a scoreboard. Like, scoreboard clocks were iconic in baseball. We like should the, bring those back. The clock on top of the scoreboard. Yeah, those should come back. Like, not I a digital agree. clock. Give me, give me a good, old-fashioned clock at your, at your ballpark. Yeah, I think AutoZone Park either had or has a clock. Cool feature. I love a golf course that has one on the first tee. Big, old-timey clock right next to the first tee. Love it. The big Rolex clock? Yeah, man. I love that Yeah, stuff. those are awesome. Those are fantastic. Traditionally, those only happen at places where a championship event has happened also. That's kind of Rolex's rule. There are a few exceptions, but not many. So you've hosted a major or hosted a national championship event. Go figure. For example, Greyhawk in Scottsdale has not hosted a major, but they host the NCAA championships now. And right there next to kind of the practice screen area, there's one of those big Rolex clocks. That's super cool. cool. Um, But no, we're talking about different types of clocks in in college baseball. First and foremost, there is a 20-second pitch clock. Now, we've gotten used to seeing that clock on the outfield wall in college baseball for the last, how many years has that been now? What, five, six years that's been out there? Yeah, something like that. Been a while. How many times <laughs> have you seen that clock used for anything other than decoration? I mean, it, I can't it, say that I've ever seen a pitcher get called, a pitch get called a ball because it took too long. No. Because it was out there, but they didn't enforce the rule. And there were all kinds of and and it was only in effect when the bases were empty, right? It didn't it didn't even count down when there was a runner on base. Well, that's going away this season. We're going to a twenty second pitch clock. Now you can throw over to first. You can make a pickoff move to first as many times as you want. But if you make a pickoff move, you've got to throw to the base. You can't just step off to get the clock to restart over and over and over. They are making a concerted effort to speed up the game this season. We'll talk about the details of this when we come back and what kind of an effect it will have and whether or not it makes sense. Sports Talk Mississippi just getting started with you in the Pearl River Resort Studios on this Tuesday, Valentine's Day, February the 14th. we got more coming up after this.
Game, your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. Let me put it to you this way. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. There we go. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Thanks for being with us. Sports Talk brought to you in part by Genteel Apparel. Follow them online at genteelapparel.com. Just follow them online. You can shop online at genteelapparel.com. The uh, spring merchandise is beginning to arrive. You're going to see some new styles of golf shirts and all kinds of uh, warmer weather gear available on their website, genteelapparel.com. You can also find some end-of-seasons saving with a few cool days still remaining, stock up on their outerwear, their long sleeve sports shirts, or uh, maybe some of the pullovers from this past season. All of that available online at genteelapparel.com. Genteel is the official apparel provider of Sports Talk Mississippi. In years past, the 22nd clock on the outfield walls at SEC Baseball Stadium was only implemented with no one on base. And it was extremely rare for an umpire to give a warning or call a ball penalty when the pitcher or the hitter delayed action. Mike Bianco, the head coach at Ole Miss, has said that he thinks it sped the game up a little, but only from the standpoint of the fact that people were aware of the clock on the outfield wall, not so much that the 22nd rule was being enforced. But now, the 22nd clock is being put in play on every single pitch, regardless of whether a runner is on base or not. There will be no warnings for violating the 22nd clock. If you don't deliver a pitch by the time the clock strikes zero, it is a ball. And a ball will be added to the count every time the clock expires before the pitcher begins his delivery. I said deliver a pitch. It's start the delivery. Pitchers are allowed to step off the rubber one time during an at-bat to restart the clock. A subsequent step off without a pickoff attempt will not stop the clock. Now, there is no limit on the number of times you can actually throw to a base. Which is different from the Major League Baseball rule. In Major League Baseball this year, they're going pitch clock, and you're only allowed to throw to a base one time during an at-bat. Which feels like a terrible idea. I mean, it's clear that Major League Baseball is trying to change at least the perception of the game being nothing but strikeouts and home runs. They're trying to they're trying to give base runners an advantage to kind of get some guys moving and get a little bit more action. Nobody steals bases anymore anyway. So well, don't you think that's going to change? Might, but I mean, teams aren't built for that anymore. You don't have guys like Ricky Henderson and Vince Coleman and Harold Reynolds, Billy Hamilton anymore. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah, but my guess is you've got guys that can run, they just don't. I mean, it feels like Mike Trout could go steal 30 bases if he wanted to in a season. Possibly. Yeah, Xander Bogarts. I mean, everybody's got a couple of guys that can really scoot on the base paths. And if you get a throw over to first to try and keep a guy close, and now the pitcher cannot throw over to first again, you're simply waiting for the first movement of his delivery, and you are gone. Now you're putting a premium on catchers, and I guess you're putting some strategy on calling pitches and pitch outs. But how many of those do you want to waste to try and keep a runner close or keep a runner from getting in the scoring position? All right, so a 20-second pitch clock in college baseball. There is a between-batters clock of 30 seconds. So let's say routine ground ball to short, fielded by the shortstop, throw to first, umpire says out, 30 seconds starts. And so as I understand it, Borky, in that scenario, the 30-second clock will preclude the 20-second clock. Right, so play ends out, 30-second clock starts, next pitch must be delivered before that clock gets all the way to zero. Yes. So the first baseman, when he catches that ball, he's got to get it back to the pitcher, and the pitcher's got to go on the mound. If the pitcher decides to and and toe the rubber and get ready to throw the next pitch. But that also means we're not going to sit there and watch a batter walking from the on-deck circle to the batter's box at a leisurely, at best pace, only to stick his back right foot in, kind of mess around with the dirt a little bit, waggle his bat a little bit, shake his rump a little bit, adjust his batting gloves, adjust his helmet, adjust his batting gloves again, stick his hand up to the umpire, climb into the box, start to dig in, take a couple of rocks, and then act like he's ready to hit. I mean, it took me 30 seconds to describe that. Yeah. Drawing Never stuff mind how in the long dirt. it takes to actually do that. Yeah, and I love this. And there's data to back this up that it actually it does speed up games, of course. I mean, it, of course it does. In the minor leagues, they've done this and enforced it hard, and they've shaved off a half an hour from games on average. And that kind of stuff, I mean, I'm not a purist. I know there are baseball people that love every single thing about baseball, and they love it, and they want nothing to be touched. But the scenario you just described drives me nuts. And it doesn't just happen before the first pitch of it at bat. It happens between every si- – like, that's the hitter's routine. Yeah. They have these sports psychologists that, that teach routine. You do the exact same thing over and over and over and over. And so you might watch a guy, and, you know, he takes – even if you're not supposed to get out of the box, he leaves his right foot, his back foot in the box, right-handed hitter, yep. steps out with his big open left foot, kind of a couple of little waggles, readjusts batting gloves, ruffles his helmet yeah, around. Yeah kind of climbs back in, starts to get ready. I mean, that happens over, and there's no pace to the game. None. I mean, especially and, Texas A&M last year. The, the way that they, yeah, their, their yeah. approach at the plate was so slow, on purpose. I, I mean, and you know what this is going to really help? Midweek games. This is going to really help <laughs> midweek games. When, when you're playing teams that have guys that really struggle to throw pitches, or throw strikes, I should say, and and you've got all the stuff that you described, the batting gloves and the adjusting the helmet and drawing stuff in the dirt and taking forever. And then the guy throws a ball, and then you do it again, he throws another ball. And it just those four hour eleven to one midweek games, 
against directional you are going to feel faster because they are faster. That is where, like, weekend games, big weekend games still had a bad pace to them, but at least, like, it felt faster because it was two good teams and, and stuff like that. Like, it felt like it was moving pretty good, except for when you were playing Texas A&M. Those midweek games were just a slog. Always just just slow and forever. This should really help the pace of those. Um, question is, you got several questions on the ceasefire text line. Josh and Clinton, when does the clock reset? As soon as the pitcher gets the ball back? <laughs> yes. And look, if so the pitcher delivers a pitch, let's just say it's called a ball, kind of falls off the side of the mound, walks to the back of the mound. It, when he steps into the dirt area of the mound, that's when it starts. As long as he's not intentionally delaying stepping into the dirt area. And look, there's going to be some common sense here as well. If there's like maintenance that needs to happen where a pitcher needs to like rake dirt into the area where his foot lands, the clock's not going to be running then. They're going to use common sense in starting the clock, but they're trying to get consistency in the way that they do that. Um, let's see here. Somebody, we had a couple of people said, so no throwing the ball around the infield to celebrate an out anymore. Oh, no, I think you can still do that. It's just going to be crisp. It doesn't take long. No, just a few seconds, man. And the pitcher's kind of walking around the mound anyway. It gives him a chance to kind of reset himself as well before he climbs back onto the mound. That, that's no problem. That'll still I mean, happen. That, yeah, I mean, that's a five- to seven-second thing. That, that's that, that's That's not slowing down the game at all. All right, so that that's the, you've got your, your 20-second clock, your 30-second clock after an out or after a ball is put into play. You get a double into the right center field gap, guy stops on, ball comes back in, time's called, ball goes to the pitcher, that's the end of the play, 30-second clock starts, he climbs back on the mound. He delivers ball one, now you've got a 20-second clock. Now he delivers strike one, you got a 1-1 count, 20-second clock, on and on and on uh, along those lines. Here's one I like also. How many times do we see a pitcher look in, take all his time, get a sign, step off? Look in, get a sign, pick to first. Pick to first again. Now we get the slow stroll from the manager to the dugout, out to the mound, conversation, just waiting on the umpire to come out and break it up, only to ultimately make a pitching change. Two-minute two minute process, two-and-a-half-minute process, so that his guy in the bullpen can get an extra six pitches in to get loose before he comes in to get his seven pitches before the at-bat begins with the new pitcher in the game. There's now a 30-second mound visit clock. We'll tell you what that means. And also the pitching change clock when we come back. Nothing brings people together and forms a lasting bond like sports. Sports Talk Mississippi. Covering your favorite teams like no one else. On the Super Talk app, supertalk.fm, and on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio station. So Juju Smith-Schuster woke up this morning and chose to be a comedian. Apparently, A.J. Brown woke up this morning and chose violence. 
uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. You've seen the the Happy Valentine's memes that everybody's putting out today on on Twitter and all the social media platforms. It's a thing. It's a copycat deal. What was the player's name for Philly that, that got the holding call? Bradbury? Bradbury. There's a picture of Bradbury in his Eagles jersey, and it's a Valentine that has a to and a from on it. It says, I'll hold you when it matters most. Okay. We can all agree that that's funny. Juju Smith-Schuster tweeting that graphic, Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. A.J. Brown responds on Twitter. First off, congratulations. Y'all deserve it. This is lame. You was on the way out the league before Mahomes resurrected your career on your one-year deal, TikTok boy. He admitted that he grabbed you, but don't act like you're like that or ever was... But congratulations again. Mugs clinking and clapping. Okay, then. All right. So angry. Jeez. Yeah. Well, all righty then. You know, there's both, both are, I don't want to say right, but like the meme was funny. That's objectively funny. But that can't come from Juju Smith-Schuster, who has so woefully underperformed relative to his talent, and he's only popular because of his TikTok dances. I mean, what was AJ Brown called him TikTok boy on, yes. the, on the response? I mean, if if you're gonna, I don't know. I noticed this in high school. Actually, it was funny. So we played the football factory that was Burns. They had, they had Marcus Lattimore, who was the number one recruit in the country. Their quarterback went to Rutgers. They had two defensive ends that went to Tennessee. They had like 12 guys play Division I football on that team. And they whooped us in the regular season for our only loss, and then they whooped us in the playoffs again. And it wasn't close. The starters didn't talk. They just played ball. They lined up and kicked our you-know-what, and that's what it was. But they were like respectful, played the game the right way. That's the worst kind. Then the backups came in. Oh. The, the dudes. <laughs> I wasn't sure where you were going with this. Okay. And those guys that never played, we didn't even know. We didn't have scouting reports on them. They never played. Oh, they talked and they talked and they talked as if they did something. Oh, man. It's always the guys that, that aren't like in it that are the loudest. Yeah. Always. Sure. Of course. Um, so we're talking about the clocks in baseball. 20-second clock, 30-second clock, 30-second mound visit clock. That's going to drastically change the way... Well, it's going to change some strategy. It's going to change how you go about getting guys loose in the bullpen, knowing that you got to get them loose. Now, maybe coaches are going to find a way to stall and figure out a way around it when it, maybe. They're trying to eliminate this. And also, you can't lollygag your way out to the mound and then talk to your pitcher for 30 or 45 seconds and wait on the umpire to lollygag his way out to the mound to break it up. It's going to be 30 seconds. And guess what happens after? Guess what happens at the end of thirty seconds? You don't have a siren. 
You don't have the umpire doing his thing. At the end of the 30 seconds, the 30-second pitch clock starts. So there's your built-in penalty. Coach wants to be long-winded and buy an extra amount of time for his guy to get loose in the bullpen. So be it. Pitch clock has started. So we'll see how that works. And there's a a two-and-a-half-minute clock for pitching changes. From uh, when you got a new pitcher coming into a game, either mid-inning or to start a new inning, when the pitcher crosses the warning track, so assuming you got a bullpen in the outfield or leaves the bullpen area, in the case of LSU and a couple of others where they've still got mounds in the field of play, that's brilliant in 2023, then a two-and-a-half-minute clock starts. And upon expiration of that, you know, you got seven pitches to get warmed up, but guys will come in and they'll take a moment of meditation or say a prayer and scratch something on the back of the mound and grab the rosin bag and spit a couple of times and dig out a spot in front of the rubber and then they'll take their warm-up pitches and all that. I don't think that two and a half minutes is going to be hard to... uh, I I don't think that's going to affect anything. I don't really think that's going to affect anything. And at the end of the two and a half minutes, the 20-second pitch clock starts. Yeah. Deliver a pitch. Just going to keep it moving. Yes. Baseball is famously a sport without action. It's better to give the appearance that there is action. Uh, Hunter in Columbus says, The length of a baseball game has never bothered me. I mean, it's baseball. I enjoy being at the dude for a while. I really don't care if the game takes a while because that means more time to hang out with friends. I just was trying to, I think it's more about the TV product. Yes. Yes. And, and here's, honestly, I think this is a bigger part of it. Not just the TV product. But the people in charge of college baseball are not unaware of the fact that college softball rates higher than college baseball. Exclusively. Mm -hmm. I mean, it always draws better than college baseball. It's a fast-paced game that's shorter, that fits in basically a two-hour window on television. And the ratings are higher for it, and there's a ton of growth for it. And I think college baseball can look at this and be like, hold on a second, we've got a really good product, and our game is growing. College baseball is growing in popularity. There's no question about it. Yeah, speaking of, I saw Oklahoma's got a big, uh, they're going to do a stadium renovation here shortly, just secured some major donation to to get that started. Saw that on Twitter today. By the way, guys, Mississippi's not the only state where the left hand watches what the right hand is doing. One, Oklahoma just played for a national championship. Two, Oklahoma State is a year removed from opening a brand spanking new spectacular $65 million ballpark. It was only a matter of time. Yeah. It was only a matter of time. And look, Texas A&M is about to renovate Bluebell Park. You can go ahead and count on the fact that Dish Falk's going to get renovated soon. It just how it works, right? It works that way everywhere. Um, Ten-run rule for conference games, ten-run rule for non-conference games if both coaches agree to it. Heard a, uh, an interview, I think it was one that Chase Parham did with Carl Lafferty, and he said he really 
liked the 10-run rule. Because I think a lot of us look at it and we're like, man, it's baseball. Factors into strategy. You know, you're a baseball purist. You don't love that. He's like, I like it. He's like, man, you're down 10 in the sixth inning. Everybody's ready to go home. And it's not just the team that's getting boat raced who wants to preserve pitching. It's the team that's ahead that wants to preserve pitching for the next day as well. Well, Let's start calling football games in the third quarter, then. I tend to fall on the same line as Hunter and Columbus. I I like baseball, and it just doesn't... I'm just never a guy that's at the ballpark looking at my watch going, gosh, I've been here a long time. You know, I've never, I've never once said I spent too much time at the ballpark. Now, yeah, I'll take that back. That, uh, that game in, uh, 20, uh, I think it was 19 that went with Alabama that went to three in the morning. I might have said I spent too much time. That SEC tournament game we had against LSU. I spent too much time at the ballpark for that. But on a normal day, I don't ever notice these kind of things. Plus, my first thought is, oh, we're going to give these umpires who already can't call balls and strikes correctly more to do? Great. I'm sure it won't. I'm sure it won't backfire at all. I I do think that's something important to watch. You're, you're putting more responsibility on the umpires. And in a ballpark where you've got the pitch clock on the outfield wall, it's going to be the responsibility of the home plate umpire. In a lot of cases, a home plate umpire who already has trouble... Um, handling the strike zone, and now you're going to ask him to, to keep up with something else. Seems easy, though. I mean, yeah. if the clock is yeah, right off the pitcher, I mean, you can see it counting down. If the guy starts his windup and the clock's not at zero, you can immediately focus. It's, it should be an easy eye transition. I agree. I, I don't think you're asking too much of of the umpires in this. But you are asking them to think about and process one more thing yeah. During the uh, during the course of a game, and yes, college baseball strike zones are not great, and not great is putting it mildly. If you put if you put the Fox box or the ESPN K zone, if you overlaid that on college baseball broadcast, ooh boy. <laughs> the major league umpires are pretty good. I mean, we may think they're bad, but in terms of balls and strikes. Overall, they're pretty good. It would be a different story if uh, college baseball umpires were dealing with K-Zone. Sports. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Sounds good. On Super Talk Mississippi. So Nick Sirianni, Nick Sirianni's got to hire some new coaches in Philly, huh? Got to get a new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator. Where the rest of the division is completely continuous. There's continuity for the rest of his division in those yeah. spots. Yeah. And the enemy may leave Kansas City again. You got offensive coordinator spots open around the league, and he's a target, and maybe it feels like it's time. 
So we'll see. We'll see. It's interesting though. Uh, Philly's at a I don't know if crossroads is the right word, but you you just went to a Super Bowl and you lost it. Probably should have won it, but you didn't. And now like half of your roster is a free agent. Now they've got draft capital, which helps. A little bit of extra. But there's a bunch of guys that you now have to pay. Fletcher Cox being one of them, by the way. But there's like 12 starters that you need to pay or move on from on from that Super Bowl team. It's crazy how many upcoming restricted or unrestricted free agents that they have. So they've got to either do some some cap magic or that team's not going to look the same next year. He's got a new offensive coordinator in Dallas, so not continuity everywhere in the division. Oh, that's true. But it's the the head coach is now going to be calling the plays. So for whatever that's worth. That's right. So McCarthy is calling the plays, but who did they hire? Who be the offensive coordinator in Dallas? It was Oh goodness, the name's just escaping me. We should know this. Anyway. Uh, Schottenheimer. Brian Schottenheimer. That's right. Yeah. That, that guy's been everywhere. And mm. A lot of people made fun of the Cowboys for that, but McCarthy said he's taking over. And so that's basically an extra set of eyes and not a guy that's going to be Kellen Moore's replacement. College football fix is coming your way in a little over an hour. And we'll talk about another offensive coordinator hire, not in the NFL, but in college football where the head coach will not be calling the plays. It will be the offensive coordinator calling the plays and running the offense. If you've missed that news, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it coming up a little bit later. You may have heard that Aaron Rodgers is getting ready to go on a darkness retreat. That has not actually started yet. He initially revealed on the Pat McAfee show last week his unorthodox off-season plan, saying he would spend... Four days and four nights in darkness, isolation at some point after the Super Bowl. I think it was A.J. Hawk. Maybe it was somebody else who was commenting. I think it was somebody else that was commenting on this said, isn't that called prison? There's lights in prison. (laughs) Rogers told McAfee today, this thing has been planned for about four months, and it was always the same date. It was always the end of this coming week. Rogers said he has taken other kinds of retreats, including to meditate and practice yoga in the past to find, quote, a greater peace in my life, close quote. Went on to say, I'm probably going to have a better sense of where I'm at in my life. I didn't say I'm going to my darkness retreat just to figure out if I'm going to play next year or retire. Yeah, he got onto Ian Rappaport today. And now now people are wondering if he intentionally leaked the wrong dates to figure out who was talking. Hmm. Because he said today, he said, nobody in my circle talks to Ian Rappaport. So if, if he reports something related to me, it either came directly from me or you should question it because it, it's not true. Oh, wow. But Ian Rappaport didn't get where he was by making stuff up. Also true. So somebody told him something. Well, we've had the uh, the great source-off going with uh, Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter recently as well. Oh, that's talking about me and Borky. No, that was, uh, that was a rather short competition. 
Because one day lasted a day. It was a it was a, a one day with a clearly decided winner. Yeah. <laughs> there was no ambiguity. And there's no debate either. It's just... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. If, if only our... Uh, never mind. Gallo at six. Well, they, you know. Yeah. Yeah. How long could you handle darkness and isolation? I've been married uh, 21 and a half years. Oh, wow. <laughs> is there a um, is there a doghouse at your home because that might be where I you're got, sleeping tonight. I got a couple of sheds. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> wow. Uh, you teed it up, I knocked it out. That's not real. Like, I genuinely meant, like, if, if, if maybe, oh, ooh. Hey, Dad's going to go ahead and fire off that apology text during the break. And, uh, we, she ain't listening. We will pick this up when we she come back. She ain't never going to hear this. I don't know. We can clip the audio and send the old text message. <laughs> Welcome back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Wait, we'll be back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Uh, Now, back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Say that again. Please say it. Now, back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Sorry, poorly timed joke, completely inappropriate. On Super Talk Mississippi. Do either of you boys still have one of those Flow Baseball online streaming subscriptions? I let mine go the day that tournament ended. Okay. I just was, I I was wondering if maybe that was one of those things that, you know, it just like got lost in the shuffle and you never actually canceled it and you still had a username and password. So I'm thinking, might want to watch some baseball um, from, from Arlington, Texas this weekend. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, 4 o'clock hour, streaming at supertalk.fm, Supertalk TV, and of course, uh, on your Supertalk Mississippi radio stations. Coming to you, as always, from the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort is the home of the sportsbook at the uh, Golden Moon Casino. You can learn more about the sportsbook or all of the other stuff that is happening at uh, Pearl River Resort on their website, Pearl River Resort. Dot com. If you want to be a part of the conversation, you can uh, join us on the ceasefire text line at 601-879-4395. Check out ceasefire.com slash business for all of your business IT needs here in the Magnolia State. Did you see the video uh, from Valley and the cheerleader getting ejected from a game? Did you see that video? Uh, I missed that, no. So they're playing Alabama A&M. And a Valley player is shooting free throws. And you know how sometimes the cheerleaders will, like if a free throw is made, they'll do a flip or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. So free throw is shot. Free throw is made. Ball lands on the court. Alabama A&M player grabs the ball, gets to the baseline, turns to pass it in, and the cheerleader flips and her foot hits his body. Right? So she hits him. But nothing bad happens. Like, like it's fine. Like, she hits him, but the play goes on up the court. The next time out, 
she goes onto the court to confront him for, for hitting her while she was flipping. And cops came in and ejected her from the basketball game. Good. She walks onto the hold court on, to confront second, him. I'll second. send you the video. The 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 cheerleaders flipping on made free throws happens in college basketball all the time. But do you know where it happens? <laughs> it happens on the end of the floor opposite where the oh, free throws are happening. She doesn't even flip. She does like a, a kick thing and her back foot hits him as he's trying to inbound the ball. <laughs> I'm gonna send you the video right now. Hey, <laughs> Her just the confidence of just walking on the court like I'm going to tell him. <laughs> no other state does college baseball better than Mississippi. And on Thursday, Sports Talk Mississippi will be live at Swayze Field in Oxford as the reigning national champions prepare for the start of the 2023 season. Hear from players and coaches as we celebrate the opening of the college baseball season right here in the Magnolia State. Also, don't forget the country music superstar Morgan Wallen is coming to Oxford, and we're giving you a chance to win. Just enter your name at one of the registration boxes located throughout the state at places like Exhaust Pro in Macomb, Cobalt's Boutique in Columbus, or at Scruggs Farm and Garden in Tupelo. For a full list of places that you can register, go to supertalk.fm slash Morgan Wallen. Online, a couple of sweet seat tickets to see Morgan Wallen at Vaughn Hemingway Stadium on Sunday, April 23rd. The ticket giveaway is brought to you by First South Farm Credit, King's Daughters Medical Center, Jumpstart Test Prep, and Toyota of Brookhaven. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. So this opening weekend of college baseball that gets started on Friday, here's what you got. Missouri and Oklahoma State at noon in Arlington, Texas. That's game one of the college baseball showdown. So Missouri gets the invite to that tournament this year. From the SEC, you've got Missouri and... Vanderbilt, and Arkansas. So those are the three from the SEC this year. Jacksonville State's at Georgia for a three-game series. Richmond is in Tuscaloosa to play three. Kentucky is at Elon. You can watch Kentucky at Elon on Flow Baseball as well, if you are uh, so inclined. Three-game series there. Quick, name that mascot. The Phoenix. Yeah. Elon, the Musks. VMI in Starkville to take on Mississippi State. UMass Lowell is at South Carolina. Vanderbilt and TCU in a ranked matchup. Middle game of the day at the College Baseball Showdown in Arlington. Indiana is at Auburn for a three-game series. Delaware, Blue Hens in Oxford to take on Ole Miss. Charleston Southern is at Florida. Seattle. Name that mascot. The, no, that's not right. I was thinking. I was thinking the, the exact. I was thinking it's Portland. That's the pilots. I was thinking the exact same yeah. thing. I just realized I don't, I don't know Seattle. the answer. Yeah. I mean, would they be like the Space Needles? Sure, we'll go with that. We'll go with. Uh, it. They're the Red Hawks. Good and original. 
Western Michigan is at LSU. Arkansas and Texas on Friday night in Arlington. You can go ahead and chalk up about 25000 for that game. Tennessee and Arizona in Scottsdale at the MLB 4 tournament. So Tennessee will play Arizona, Grand Canyon, and UC San Diego. The Big 12 teams, by the way, in the uh, college baseball showdown, TCU, Oklahoma State, and Texas. You remember the last time, well, I say the last time, I guess they did it last year. But two years ago, when Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Arkansas were in that event, I believe, if I remember correctly, the SEC went 8-1 and one in those nine games. Is that accurate, hey, Dad? That's correct. State lost. Did State lose to Texas? State lost to TCU on Saturday. Okay. Beat lost Texas T- and beat uh, Texas Tech. I'm trying to remember the So... State played the first State played game. Texas in the opening game, yes. Ole Miss played the middle game, and then Arkansas played the night game. And I think that format stayed the same all the way through for all three days. In, in terms I believe that's correct. They slots. played the first game, yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, what a cool event that was. Yeah. Can't wait for them. I mean, Arkansas is back, so I assume State and Ole Miss won't be much longer to come back either. Yeah. So Mississippi State's going to Frisco this year. They're Frisco right? this year, yeah. Frisco okay. with Cal, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. And Ole Miss is in Minneapolis with yeah. the three Big Ten: Maryland and Purdue and yeah. Iowa. Wouldn't it be that? Minnesota? Yeah, I guess it would make sense. That would that would make more sense that it was Minnesota than Iowa. Good call. So state has the state has the power conference sampler over there in Frisco. Only the ACC is missing. I love these early season tournaments. They're oh, cool. they're great. They're fantastic. You got one in Frisco, one in Round Rock, one in Houston, one in Dallas. You got this one in Minneapolis. There's one in Scottsdale. And then there's some that are in... I'm honestly surprised that more of these don't happen in Florida. Yeah. Like, why Why would Miami not host... Like, city of... I mean, pick a school. I guess the University of Miami they have? can kind of do whatever they want to do. Yeah, I mean... You get more people at a... You get the right teams in there, you get more people at a college baseball game, and the Marlins will draw for one all year. Seriously. Um, I, I I would love the idea of that happening here. Is it too cold here? To yeah, I was thinking to, about that. Yeah. yeah, it's too cold. Even if you did it down it's on the coast, cold. I mean, you're you're. It's still a roll of the dice in February. It's, yeah. but if you could bring I mean, in think about, think about Frisco last year. Southern Miss went to Frisco last year. Is that right? Did they go to Frisco, or they just went to Dallas Baptist? For that three they went to series. Dallas Baptist. It was cold, and it was just like brutally cold. I mean, that's in Texas. Well, state. But, I mean, state had a game get canceled in Frisco in 2019 yes. for wind. I yeah, mean, the wind was just out of control that day. So, like you said, it's a crapshoot. But uh, the next Saturday in Biloxi. So let's say the tournament would be week two, mm-hmm. 70 and sunny. 
All weekend. 72 and sunny all weekend. Yeah, oh, that'd be great. That'd be fantastic. But, I mean, we I could go see, down there and cover it. This weekend it's 57, which is, you know, honestly, not that bad. Well, I mean, it's better than it's going to be in Starville and Oxford. Yeah. Yeah. And Saturday and Sunday, people are reminding us that two years ago, on the opening weekend of the college baseball season, we had the big ice storm. I mean, it's a good thing that Mississippi State and Ole Miss were on the road. It almost didn't happen there because of the ice storm. You're absolutely right. Would not have played a game in either Oxford or Starkville that weekend. And somebody says you bring a solid tournament to Biloxi and it will sell out. Oh, agreed. Oh, I agree. And look, I mean, the Winn-Dixie showdown that used to be in New Orleans was spectacular. We'll be back. Loved it. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. Your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. How do you like that? I love it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Can you imagine if we were opening the college baseball season this weekend in New Orleans for the the former Winn-Dixie showdown with LSU, Tulane, and UNO, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Southern Miss, all playing in the Dome over the course of three days this weekend? How good would that be? Holy cow. And it wasn't an every-year thing, right? I mean, the, the Ole Miss State-Southern yeah. Miss thing only happened a couple of times. They would rotate. I mean, they would have yeah. Texas, they switched Texas out State Rice. Mm-hmm. One year they had Alabama, Miami, Auburn, Florida, Florida State. Yeah. Alabama-Auburn's, I think South Alabama went one year. I think that, I don't remember the third Alabama school was. but I think there was yeah. one year where they pulled from, like they had North Carolina, Duke, and NC State that came in. So it's awesome. I mean, I, that was a lot of fun back in the day. I'm still hung up on the coast thing. I, I want to call the stadium manager and be like, "Hey, Ole Miss one year, Mississippi State the next year, Southern Miss the next year. Alternate, alternate, alternate. Get Tulane in it. You know, try to get Auburn or Alabama to come down and play in it. Do something like that. Get localized teams because you've got great baseball teams in this area. Because you're not getting rid of the like governor's cup, yeah, but the." They're always going to play the Governor's Cup, so you're not going to get Ole Miss State and Southern to play each other more than you already do. No, that, that's not how that worked at the Win Dixie. You you played the other side. You played the other state. Oh, so then you, you never played State and Ole Miss. So you would play State LSU, State Tulane, State and UNA. every year. State Southern Miss Ole Miss versus whoever. Do yeah. it Mississippi versus Louisiana. I don't know if LSU would agree to it, but try get LSU Tulane in Louisiana. LSU would come. Mm, I don't LSU know. would LSU would show. Or I think they show up. But the that's, reason I mean, that's the great. That's easy RPI. Even if you yeah. lose, but three games at the box is a big deal, and that's kind of the reason that the Win Dixie Showdown ended. LSU was bringing the biggest crowds for the games, and yet they were splitting that revenue with UNO and. Tulane and yeah. Skip Burpin said we can I make more money state. playing a three-game home series than we can on the on the road. 
I went to State LSU on a Friday night down there in a, a 6 p.m. first pitch, I think, in the Superdome. I mean, like 15,000 people in there, 16,000 people. It was incredible. Yeah. We're going to do that. Somebody needs to do this. It makes too much sense not to do it. It's important for, especially State and Ole Miss, because Southern Miss is closer to the coast, obviously. There's a lot of, especially Ole Miss fans, because State plays there in the midweek already, that feel so far away from their school. Because they are. So, you throw your fans a bone on the coast, you put on a really cool event in a nice stadium in a cool place to visit, RPI would help, depending on who you get. It's a no-brainer. What would you rather do, that or host Delaware or VMI? A lot of non-conference baseball weekends stink, if we're being totally honest. They're boring games and not super great environments. Juice the non-conference up a little bit, more than you already do. Hmm. I don't know what kind of a financial guarantee it would take to get the teams there. I guess that's it, right? Well, I mean, you're just... Just like anything else. I mean, if you sold an average of 5,000 tickets per game at 20 bucks a ticket for nine games, that's $900,000 in revenue. You put a title sponsor on there for whatever that generates, which it's easier said than done. But then you've got all the costs that are associated with running the tournament, paying umpires and renting the stadium and all that stuff. And so the question is, what would it, what would you have to pay each of the six teams? You know, would would it be the same amount to every team? Would you negotiate those contracts individually? I, I don't know. I don't know what kind of a guarantee it would. T- I have. I would love to know what kind of a guarantee. Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Arkansas got to play in the tournament in Dallas a few years ago. I mean, I don't know if it's fifty thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars or two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I got no idea. Would love to know that answer. Yeah, because that so. that would be cool. Because somebody texted in and said the city of Oxford would rather not. I understand that, but how many people went to the VCU series last year when Ole Miss played uh, VCU? There, there is a local impact. For the VCU series, 100%. for a th- for 1,000 people at three games, and, and, and you can't sacrifice that for a more interesting matchup to throw a bone to your alumni on the coast? Just seems very short-sighted. Telling you, man, spring weekends in Oxford when there are people coming in for baseball or whatever else, it changes the local economy. So I, pr- I promise you, it does. I'm, I'm not so making that up. I, I hear you, but losing the VCU series would be a detriment to Oxford. If instead yes. of playing VCU at home, VCU. Well, no, I mean, look, but, but the deal is, this is Ole Miss does it the same way every year. They play three non-conference home series. And one away from Oxford. So that's all you're doing is making this the away one. You're you're not eliminating a home series. Okay. So, so then it's a a moot point. Yeah. Yeah. So so the original uh, the the original 
issue here was the city of Oxford would rather that not be the case. And yeah, sure. But it doesn't change the way the schedule works right now because you only play at home three of the four weekends to start the season anyway. I mean, the city of Oxford would probably prefer that Ole Miss play all four of its non-conference series at home instead of going on the road for any of them. But that's not going to happen. That's not the way Mike builds his schedule. It's not the way he's ever believed in building his schedule. He wants to take his team on the road once before conference play begins. So, But yes, if you were... If you were taking away a home non-conference series, that would have a negative effect economically on the local economy in Oxford. But this wouldn't be doing that. This would be instead of going to Orlando to play that three-game series against UCF last week last year, instead going to Biloxi. So that makes more sense. Ceasefire text line, if you want to be a part of the conversation, 601-879-4395. You guys excited about the start of baseball? I mean, jokes aside about counting it down, it's going to be cold on opening weekend and all that. Does it feel like this is – I think this is going to be a really interesting year in the SEC. I am excited, but it's a different excitement this year because – it's the first time in a few years where I wasn't just trying to desperately get away from basketball. And since there's still basketball, like Saturday, I'm going to be in Oxford. I will, I'll be at the game. I won't be at the Duty Noble on Saturday. So it, it's a little odd, but I am looking forward to the start of baseball just because I want to see how Mississippi State bounces back from such a terrible season a year ago. Yeah. that that That's different, right? And, and we've had years where college baseball through those first three or four weekends was off and rolling. You had a team in the NCAA tournament, and people were very much interested in what was going on in basketball. Mm-hmm. It just hasn't been the case in recent years. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a different perspective for you this year. How about you, Bork? Uh, you the, you these, generally are not as ready to get it going. Well, these series uh, don't inspire a whole lot of confidence, right? Delaware and VCU are or VMI, are hard to get up for. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I mean, Saturday, Sunday, I'll have two screens up. I'll, I'll be watching and and engaged right away. I mean, it's – I need to not take baseball for granted because most places it doesn't move the needle. It does here, and, and so why would I not just sit back and embrace it and enjoy it? We also do it really well here last season notwithstanding in Starkville. Generally speaking, we do baseball really well around here. And, you know, I, I, I talk all the time about what the programs can be like in football and basketball and winning can be done, but it's not always done. In baseball, it's always done. And so, yeah, it's Delaware and VMI, but there's going to be a bunch of winning this weekend. Why would I not be excited to watch that and talk about it? That's a me problem. Yeah. Um, we got some football coaching news. As it pertains to Ole Miss, we'll get into that in the college football fix about half an hour from right now. We get this message. My wife is dragging me to Mardi Gras, and I'll be missing opening day for the first time since 2002 in Oxford, Coach Bianco approved of Mardi Gras over baseball when I joked with him about it on Sunday after church. 
Got with some Louisiana roots there. Gets it. Porky, you making a Mardi Gras run this weekend? No. Okay. Probably a parade in Jackson, isn't there? Maybe. I, honestly, I don't know. They, they do St. Patty's Day big here. Sports Talk, Mississippi. Yeah. We'll be back with you after this. Podcasts. Hey. Let's go. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. Don't hurt yourself. Sports Talk, Mississippi. On Super Talk, Mississippi. Till we go off the air. Hey, just 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 wait till we just wait till we get to the course. Wave, old wave. Oh, you'll never live it down. What a song. Welcome back, Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Great to be with you this afternoon. So we got an announcement today. Kind of a big announcement. Southern Miss and Mississippi State. This was a release from Southern Miss are going to continue their non-conference football series. Had a couple of games on the schedule for, uh, what, this coming year and then 2025. So 2023 and 2025. Right. And they are going to continue. And that's part of a a three-game set that started in 2019. So it was 20... 2019, 2023 in Starkville, and 2025 in Hattiesburg. Okay, so the first two were in Starkville, and the the third was in Hattiesburg. And that's what Mississippi State had done previously, right? Mm Mm-hmm. It was was not a home-and-home. It was a two-for-one. Is that right? Who was it? It was was home-and-home, 14-15. So the original one was 14, it was not 14, 15, 19 for the two for one? No, it was 19, okay. 23, 25 for the two for one. Um, so cool, the, these two will continue to be playing. They're going to play in 2030 and 2031. But didn't we already know this? We did already know this. I don't know how this, and I and I, I saw my buddy Brandon Marcello tweet it this morning, and I texted him. I was like, "This this was announced last year." And he was like, "What?" And so evidently, Southern just released a bunch of games today, and maybe there had been no formal announcement. But this this series, it, the, the, people had known it was going to happen going back to last February. So I don't know why it became a buzz today, but yes, yeah, State has another one and one because that's the thing I remember railing on on a few podcasts and probably on this show of why is Mississippi State giving Southern Miss a one-for-one? doesn't make any sense. No state should not, and the state is doing it with Troy as well. State Mississippi State, no SEC school, should do a one-for-one with a, uh, a group of five school. I don't care who it is. I don't care if they're in-state or not. Auburn wouldn't do it with Troy. Alabama wouldn't do it with South Alabama. 
LSU doesn't do it with ULL. They all they come to Tiger Stadium, or that's that. And I know Southern Miss fans aren't going to want to hear this, but I'm sorry that's not 1985 anymore, and, and it's just, it just isn't. we got to move forward. And you know, I personally don't have an issue going to Hattiesburg, but it should definitely be a part of a two-for-one. It, it, there's, no, there's no reason for it to be one-for-one. I don't like I said I don't understand why it became a thing today. Here's what I, I think happened. I think the the release was basically Southern Miss saying these are the upcoming series dates, and I think this was the first time that Southern Miss had officially announced that they're playing Alcorn State on September second to open this coming season. I think. But the way that the release was written, the University of Southern Miss, uh, Mississippi announced Tuesday the addition of three upcoming home-and-home football series against Mississippi State, USF, and Jacksonville State, along with two home games against Alcorn State. I, I don't know if the others were previously known or not. Right. But... I mean, it, it was a quick Google search away. I found a story from February 6, 2022 that said, this was from WDAM in Hattiesburg, actually. University of Southern yeah. Mississippi and Mississippi State will be playing football into the next decade. According to FBSSchedules.com, the schools have agreed to another home-and-home home series for the 2030 and 31 seasons. So, And maybe, little, you know, FBSSchedules.com, maybe not the most reputable source, but they do know schedules. That's what they do for, for a living up there. Yeah, that's kind of what they, they do. I mean, I just, yeah, I, I just, when I saw it getting tweeted around, I was just like, what is going on? My, I know I'm not crazy. And then uh, on the 24-7 Mississippi State Board, somebody found a, like a 10-page thread, and they were like, yeah, we were talking about this last year. Hmm. Is there a rule preventing you from having eight home games or something? State has eight home games next year. Because I'm looking at the future schedules. Ole Miss has a road trip at Charlotte in 26. Charlotte. That makes no sense. They go to Yukon in 27, and that appears to be a home-and-home. They go to South Alabama in 29. That's one that we talked about years ago that made no sense, and people were like, well, you know, recruiting Gulf Coast. I mean, that's a... It's not 1968 anymore. Like, there's cell phones. Every game is televised. Yeah. You're not allowed to bring your. Somebody mentioned that for the state and Southern, like, oh, you know, some recruits can show up. Those recruits will be hosted by Southern Miss. You can't host recruits on a road game. No, I mean the idea what is just presence about? in a particular footprint. But I mean, with every single game available on television, it it yeah. doesn't make sense. Is the answer exclusively money? But I guess my question would be, how much are you actually saving? Well, here here's here's the way the money on it works. In a home-and-home scenario with Mississippi State, Southern Miss, Mississippi State will only pay Southern Miss a small guarantee to come and play in Starkville. And so they will save that million and a half dollars or so that they would have paid Troy, for example, to come to Starkville. But the trade-off for Southern Miss is that they will get a big ticket game with yeah. Mississippi State coming to Hattiesburg. That's the other and, thing to consider. A lot of some state fans are talking about, oh well, we'll just take over the stadium. No, you won't. Southern will not allow that to happen. They're going to make you buy a season ticket package. 
They're going to make you have, be an Eagle Club member or something like that. They're, they're not going to allow 25,000 Mississippi State fans to buy single-game tickets to this game. That's not going to happen, As, and they shouldn't. Let me make that clear. They shouldn't. They, you know, they should do everything they can to protect their home field advantage. So Southern Miss's future non-conference schedules this season, they'll have Alcorn State in Week 1. They're at Florida State in Week 2. They've got Tulane at home on September 16th, and they will travel to Mississippi State on November 18th. 2024, at Ohio State, Southeastern Louisiana, USF, at Jacksonville State. 2025, they will host Mississippi State, go to Louisiana Tech, and host Jacksonville State. And then they've got Alcorn State to open the season in 2026. They've got a road trip to Auburn, a home game against Louisiana Tech, and a road trip to Tulane. Scott Strickland years ago explained that this was a financial decision in their scheduling model when they did the two-for-one. They paid the smaller guarantee for Southern Miss coming to Hattiesburg twice, and in exchange they went to Hattiesburg one time. But in terms of just a home-and-home, I I don't know how you make the dollars make sense there. Yeah, I don't get I I get Tulane. Tulane makes sense. New Orleans is different. That That's going to be... <coughs> Ole Miss going to, to Tulane makes sense. That will be a fun weekend for fans. Charlotte won't. I mean, there's alumni in Charlotte that the, and they'll enjoy it, but how many people are picking up and flying? The overwhelming majority of your season ticket holders don't live on the eastern seaboard. So how many are going to get on an airplane and fly to Charlotte to watch your team beat Charlotte by 50 points. You know, I, I that's I don't understand that. You you've got USC, like Lincoln Riley's USC on your future schedule. You're going to Los Angeles to play in the Coliseum. And you're also going to Charlotte. And you're also going to Mobile. Uh, the it, I would love to get a, a real answer for why it's not a two for one, why it's a home and home with those programs because it does not make sense. Unless you're strapped for cash and it's a big time money saver, I mean, I guess yeah. I get that. But going to play at South Alabama, just not that Mobile's a bad place. Not that Charlotte's cool. Like I've got family in Charlotte. It's a great city. Still doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and I don't know that. I, I mean, I would not think that that game would be played at what is it, Bank of America Stadium or whatever. I mean, uh-huh. I'm assuming it's going to be on Charlotte's campus. Hmm. What what year is that, Borky? That's uh, twenty twenty seven. No, that's right. That's not right. Twenty six. Twenty twenty six. They're at UConn in twenty seven. What what? I mean, what are you doing going to UConn? Stores is lovely. Uh, re- recruiting hotbed up there. Yeah, You're getting all those Connecticut kids. They don't even play their football games in stores. They play them in Hartford. Their football is in Hartford. Wrenchler State. It's a Whalers game. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I do know that it's hard to do the, the future scheduling thing, and there's a lot of negotiation that happens in that. But I do feel like, I mean, I mean can, can Ole Miss and Mississippi State negotiate in exactly the same way that Georgia can? No, probably not. But you're still in the SEC. I feel like you're negotiating from a, uh, a position of strength. This is great news for Southern Miss. They get the uh, the home and home. With uh, with Southern Miss, sports talk or with Mississippi State. We'll be back. Hey guys.
What happened? What the heck are you doing? Sports Talk Mississippi on your radio and in the game. Sports Talk Mississippi. Coaching front for Ole Miss football. You heard the news yesterday that Markel Blackwell was leaving Ole Miss to be the running backs coach at Texas A&M. Did not take Ole Miss long, and I guess maybe it hasn't been officially announced by Ole Miss. Chris Lowe from ESPN and others that cover the program on a daily basis have uh, have reported that Kevin Smith is finalizing a deal to reunite with Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss as running backs coach. This is the same Kevin Smith that was the running backs coach season before last and the season before that. He came with Lane Kiffin from FAU when Kiffin got the Ole Miss job. was there two years, left for a year to go coach with Mario Cristobal at Miami and is now coming back to Ole Miss and... He's not the only coach that has left Mario Cristobal in Miami after just one season. So the guy that was heavily involved in recruiting Quinshawn Judkins to Ole Miss but then left to go to Miami is now coming back to Ole Miss where he will once again coach running backs. I I can't remember if I wondered out loud yesterday when we talked about this, about what Ole Miss would do if... Possibly they might move Derek Nix back to running backs coach. I was told yesterday that Derek Nix did not want to make that move back to running backs coach, that that option had been presented to him this past season when Ole Miss had an opening at the running back spot. But he wanted to stay at the wide receiver position and or, or wanted to be the wide receivers coach. And so they agreed to do that and then brought in Markel Blackwell. And now Kevin Smith returning. I remember when when Lane Kiffin was hired, I had someone in the agent community tell me that Kevin Smith was a guy that was kind of attached to Lane Kiffin, which made it a little surprising when he left Ole Miss to go to Miami, but now after just one season away, he is coming back. I think that's a... A, a, a solid addition for the Ole Miss staff. I, I mean, I don't think that's one of those where you're like, holy cow, I can't believe they got Kevin Smith back. But Kevin Smith did a good job with the running backs. I mean, in, in his first season at Ole Miss, they led the SEC in rushing. In his second season at Ole Miss, they were second in the SEC in rushing. Ole Miss led the, rest, uh, the SEC in rushing this year. Part of Lane Kiffin's offense is running the football, especially when you have a guy like Quinshawn Judkins in the backfield. So, all's well that ends well, I suppose, on yeah. this front. That's just kind of how the position coaches are, right? I mean, uh, what are you a good recruiter? Apparently, Lane Kiffin seems to think so. Uh, can you coach your – I mean, re- recruiting outweighs coaching your position almost exclusively. I mean, if you've got an opening on your staff and you need a tight ends coach and the selling point is, man, this guy develops tight ends better than anybody, but you know what? He can't recruit. He's awkward in the home visits, and parents don't really like him. And well, then you're not hiring that guy. So, it, see, it's 
it's funny though because he did coach the number one and number two rushing attacks in the SEC, and then he leaves, and they were still number one. So it this is kind of the deal with position coaches. Seems good. He did a good job with Ely and Connor and Parrish when he was at Ole Miss. He didn't get a chance to coach Judkins. I imagine Judkins is going to do very well under his tutelage as well. It's it's kind of how it is. Some, something to consider, too. You, you said that Smith played a big role in the recruiting process for Judkins. He may have to play another role in recruiting him at the end of the season based off of what Borky was talking about yesterday. So something something to consider, you know, to have a, a familiar face there and a guy that you trust, a guy that you know what he can do, and a guy who's performed for you already. I mean, it feels like a win-win. Got a relationship there, obviously. Yeah, it's all about relationships. I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to kind of disagree with Borky yesterday and kind of disagree with you today. Hey, Dad, I don't think it has anything to do with who the position coach is or who the head coach is. I think the recruiting effort – for Quinshawn Judkins, following this season, assuming he has a big year, will be led by the Grove Collective. Oh, I'm so, sure it will. So what but these, about, these are, there are always going to be other factors that can't hurt. Yeah, but what yeah. about what I said? Do you disagree with? I mean, that that is kind of exactly what I was saying. That people are going to come after oh, him. And, oh yeah, yeah, no, just just the idea that because Markel Blackwell had a relationship there, that that made it likely that. You know, Texas A&M might be a spot and would be a player. I, they'll be a player I, I didn't because they say, got a great big checkbook. Well, yeah, and they have an in. I, sure, sure. No, no. I, I, I'm not. I wasn't saying that you suggested that he was leaving for Texas A&M. After that's not the point. I was just trying to make. That's exactly what I thought Borky said. In fact, I, I tweeted it out. <laughs> Wrote an article about it. <laughs> Did you? Quote: Michael Borky, Ole Miss Insider. Is that your first ever article? I've written articles, damn it. I know. I've written plenty of articles. I know. I'm messing with you. But, I I mean, (laughs) maybe we're not disagreeing about anything. I just don't think it's about who the position coach is, period. I think it's about what the NIL deal deal, deal is. Get there eventually. Period. That's what I was trying to say. There you go. 5 o'clock hour, college football fix. Coming up next, Sports Talk Mississippi in the Pearl River Resort Studio. is Sports Talk Mississippi, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hour. Welcome back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Valentine's Day. Thanks for being with us in the Pearl River Resort Studios, Pearl River Resort. You can visit them online and find out about everything that is happening at Pearl River Resort, whether it's at the Golden Moon or the Silver Star, live events, golf, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, maybe hanging out at the Sportsbook at uh, Timeout Lounge inside the Golden Moon Casino, all of that. Information available to you online at PearlRiverResort.com. 
com. You can be a part of the conversation on the C Spire text line at 601-879-4395. Give your business the edge with gigabit fiber internet from C Spire Business, backed by world-class IT experts who live where you do. That's right here in C Spire country. Online, find them at cspire.com slash business. Mentioned to you earlier that we will be in Oxford on Thursday for the kickoff of the college baseball season. Celebrating Ole Miss's national championship last year and getting ready for the start of the 2023 season. I have plenty of interviews coming your way from inside Swayze Field on Thursday afternoon. Hey, Dad, I, I got good news for you. Um, I talked to Greg at LB's earlier today. Went by and grabbed uh, yeah. some fillets to throw on the grill tonight for a little Valentine's dinner at home for the family. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, hey, mm-hmm. Dad's coming Thursday, and he wants to come see you. He's like, tell him to come by. I'll have a box ready for him. I was like, great. That is good news. I, I know they love me in Oxford. What can I say? Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you've been lobbying and begging and hoping and whatever on these airwaves. Begging. and, and, and Begging, so, the man said. Yeah. So so Greg will be ready for you when you come by. On, on <laughs> it Thursday. just doubles down that I've been begging. Yes. Hinting. Mm. Hinting. Hinting, is that better than begging? I guess. I guess. So I'm just saying, whenever uh, I come to Oxford, people treat me nice. That's it's great. We'll be nice to you on uh, on Thursday as well. What do you say we okay. get into a little college football fix? College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. This is Truck Month, Mississippi. So stop by your local Mississippi Ford dealer and check out the Ford F one fifty. The all-new Ford Super Duty. Maybe you don't want a truck that big. Maybe you're in the market for a Ford pickup like the Ranger or the Maverick. Check them all out. Inventory arriving daily at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. So shall we get into a little college football news on uh, on this Tuesday afternoon? The news came yesterday that Todd Munkin is leaving the Georgia Bulldogs after back-to-back national championships to be the offensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens. That's a really nice get for the Baltimore Ravens. Before we go any farther, Todd Munkin, a lot of NFL experience, a lot of college experience. He is a good offensive mind. And now he's going to be, presumably, working with Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. And that is a... That is a tool in the toolbox that Todd Munkin's got to be excited about. Not to mention all of the other pieces that exist in Baltimore. And Baltimore needs a boost offensively, right? They, they need to try and take that next step as a, uh, as a franchise. And so I think on the Baltimore Ravens, Todd Munkin side of things, it's a really good deal. On the flip side... Great. Todd Munkin leaving Georgia is a big deal. He called as close to a perfect a game as you can in the national championship game. Pre-snap motion, formations, moving guys around, taking advantage of mismatches, getting playmakers into space, utilizing Brock Bowers, utilizing Stetson Bennett in a combination of run game, passing game, using their talented running backs, distributing all of those things. He was really, really good. 
I'm still not sure that we saw Georgia's offense open the way that we've seen some offenses open in college football. But Georgia's personnel doesn't necessarily require that. But at the same time, you can't be stale. You can't be three yards in a cloud of dust, regardless of how talented you are. And so it's almost like Todd Munkin married those two ideas, those two concepts together, and turned that Georgia offense into just a a really well-oiled machine. Todd Munkin's been successful as an offensive coordinator everywhere he's been. Right? He had a couple years in Tampa. And didn't they set the all-time record for yards in a season, like over 7,000 total yards from scrimmage? Some of that. So, so Georgia is losing a significant mind on the offensive side of the football, especially when you think about the fact that Kirby Smart is a defensive-minded head coach. Head, Kirby Smart's more of a CEO head coach than anything right now, but his background is in defense. Yeah. So Kirby Smart has to fill the role of offensive coordinator. And my thought and you would think a role like this, you know, would be sought after yeah. by the top offensive minds in the game. My thought Who when, did they get? <laughs> when the Munkin news broke earlier, my thought was, well, good hire for Baltimore and good for the rest of the SEC because while Georgia's probably gonna be just fine, there's a chance that they downgrade. And buddy. There, there is a chance. Oh, there's a now, chance. Now, we, we didn't get a week of Kirby Smart looking around and interviewing candidates and trying to kind of figure out exactly what the right route was. We didn't get the emerging story that maybe Kendall Bryles was going to leave TCU, that maybe one of um, Mike Gundy's protégés from Oklahoma State was in the running to be an offensive coordinator that a guy that had worked under Lane Kiffin or a guy that had worked under Steve Sarkeesian was maybe in the mix to be Georgia's next play caller. No, we we didn't get any of those stories. No. But we did get dogs 24-7 learning that offensive analyst Mike Bobo, former Georgia quarterback, will be promoted to be the offensive coordinator, taking over as the play caller after uh, previously serving in that capacity between 2007 and 2014. Bobo brings a wealth of play-calling experience to the table in this promotion as he spent 10 seasons in that role with Georgia, South Carolina, and Auburn. And also a, uh, a period as the head coach at Colorado State where he was like 35 and 47 but took Colorado State to three bowl games. Hey. Bobo joined the staff at his alma mater as an analyst last year following one season as the offensive coordinator at Auburn under Tigers head coach Brian Harson. How'd that go? Prior to that, he was the offensive coordinator in 2020 at South Carolina. How'd that go? And, and was so good in 2020 at South Carolina as the offensive coordinator, that he actually was able to coach the the, the team as the head coach. Albeit interim, but as the head coach for the final three games of the regular season after Will Muschamp was fired. So what's something that you could put on your resume 
and say, I have a lot of experience in this, even though you're bad at it? Like golf? I mean, you're a pretty good golfer, so I don't know if that's the answer or not. No, the answer is golf. I'm a very average golfer. All right, then. Like, Richard has years of golf experience. Richard Cross has been playing golf since he was five years old. There you go. He's carded three rounds in the 70s in his life. Brian Haydad has decades of nutrition experience. But in the current iteration of the USGA's Gin Index, he carries a handicap of eight, which makes him one of the, in the pantheon of golfers on the planet, one of the better golfers on earth. Despite Mm -hmm. the fact that it's kind of a flawed formula to get to the index. Well, there you go. You get to it's the right same now. thing as Mike Mike Bobo has decades of play calling experience. It's the same. Yes, thing. it's woeful mediocrity since he left Georgia, and uh, you know the selling point is great developer of quarterbacks at Georgia. Yeah, Stafford, great. Green, good. You know they had a, had a nice little run there, but since then, everything has been woefully mediocre. I, I can't help but wonder if this is Kirby. Wait, you mean David Green? Yeah. Wasn't David Green pre-Mike Bobo? No. Yeah, Bobo was the the offensive coordinator there from 07 to whatever. David Green, didn't he graduate in 05? He was drafted in 2005. David Green was pre-Mike Bobo offensive coordinator. He was the quarterback's coach during that time. Okay. Quarterback's coach. Okay. So yeah, we're, okay, work with David Green. I, I I forgot that that he was in that. Let's talk about this a little bit more when we come back. This is a, such an interesting decision by Kirby Smart. There are zero flaws in that program until today. We'll be right back. Can you feel it? Can you hear it? Sports Talk Mississippi. Yeah. On Super Talk Mississippi. Again on Sports Talk Mississippi, we're talking about Mike Bobo being named offensive coordinator at Georgia. And look, it, it is true. If you go back and you look at Georgia's offensive history, you are still kind of eyes wide open to a couple of seasons where they just absolutely lit things up. 2012, 2013, just shy of 4,000 yards passing in 2012 just over 4,000 yards passing in 2013. I think that quarterback's name was Aaron Murray, who was pretty good. Mm -hmm. Also, if you looked at those seasons, those were offenses that averaged 467 and 484 yards per game. Again, very good. But how do you not look at Auburn 2021 and the disaster that they were offensively. South Carolina 2020 and the disaster that they were offensively. 
Colorado State and just kind of what they were as and maybe Colorado State's not the best example because well, it's kind of apples to oranges when you're talking about Georgia. But the game has changed. That's it. From what what worked in 2013, 2014 doesn't work in 2023. You know, you have to have changed with the game and Mike Bobo didn't. And so Ole Miss, or Ole Miss, I'm sorry. Georgia is going to go out there and line up and and try to run the football and use play action like it's still 2014 and because they're so talented, they'll probably be able to manhandle almost everybody they play. But when they play teams that can talent up talent with them, when they play Alabama, when they play Ohio State, when they go to the college football playoff, they're going to be in trouble. Both of the powers in the SEC. <laughs> so, saying a second here, I mean, woeful mediocrity. I know South Carolina doesn't get Georgia players and Auburn doesn't get Georgia players. But they're still SEC players. And if you look at their offensive ranking within the league, bad at every category at both of those places. Not even like average, I mean bad. Bottom of the league or near the bottom of the league in basically every statistical category at both places. Horrible. And when you get the kind of players that Georgia has, you probably can be super conservative to the right of Ben Shapiro and win a bunch of games. But that that is now both powers in the SEC. Getting away from what has... Sorry, it took me a second. Took you a second. <laughs> uh, both of the SEC's prominent powers, the most recent winners of championships, national championship participants, all that stuff, have decided the explosiveness, the creativity, all that is not the direction they're going anymore. And I want, I would love to know why. I think the the Alabama thing's different than the Georgia thing. Nick Saban swung for a guy in Washington that would have continued to be dynamic and explosive and all of that. Swung and missed, then went run the dang ball. Or at least that's what he was at Notre Dame. Kirby Smart didn't even bother looking. Didn't even bother looking. Maybe he did through back channels, but didn't conduct a true search and just promoted from within a guy that's been unexplosive and mediocre. Why both of those programs have decided, at least on the surface, to bring in guys that have not run dynamic, explosive offenses, despite having that over the last few years, is very fascinating. Why they would and, do that. And, and by the way, this is not us punching up at Georgia. We had a similar conversation when it looked like Mississippi State was going to hire Mike Bobo to be yes. the offensive coordinator. It was, it was worse yeah. than this. <laughs> because at Mississippi State, he it wouldn't have had the same level of it talent been a nightmare. that he's going to be coaching at Georgia. Absolute train wreck at Mississippi State to try to run his offense with State's talent. Would not have worked. And look, I mean, maybe there's a scenario where we end up with egg on our face for this conversation if we look up 10 months from now and Georgia is hoisting another national championship trophy and they have led the entire country in total of offense. And Mike Bobo has ushered along another five-star quarterback to superstardom at the college football level. I will give Kirby Smart the benefit of the doubt on the search. Kirby Smart has known for a few weeks, maybe even a couple of months, that Todd Munkin was most likely headed to the NFL. Like, that's been a poorly kept secret. He was trying, at least. 
And so I have to believe that Kirby Smart has spent a lot of time thinking about what direction he wanted to go with offensive coordinator. So even though we get the Todd Munkin announcement yesterday and the Mike Bobo announcement today, that doesn't mean that Kirby Smart was surprised yesterday to learn that Todd Munkin was going to the NFL to be an offensive coordinator, and he panicked and was like, oh, 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 what do I do? Oh, we've got an analyst, Mike Bobo. He's been a coordinator before. Let's hire him. Kirby Smart is a really good football coach. And Kirby Smart's going to do what he believes is best for the Georgia football program. What I don't understand is why Kirby Smart believes that what is best for the Georgia football program is Mike Bobo as the offensive coordinator. That that That's the piece of it that I don't understand. Especially when, who's going to take snaps there? Same question for Alabama. I mean, I guess we have the answer. They're not going to portal a guy, so maybe we know. But who's it going to be? Don't know. Stetson Bennett the fourth is, uh, I mean, going to cash in on that four hundred one k any day now. He's gone. You know, some Hunter was asking who Bobo's quarterbacks were at South Carolina at Auburn. Well, at Auburn it was Bo Nix. Hey, Dad, you say Colin Hill at South Carolina or Borky? You said that I didn't say. Okay. He, he was a Colorado State transfer. That's right. Okay. See the one that was the GA turned into the starting quarterback or whatever? Nah, that's a different one. Okay. So quite a step down from David Green and uh Aaron Murray. Yeah. Sure. And Bo Nix proved that in a different offensive system this year he was pretty darn good. Yeah. Auburn could have used him this past season. Yeah. But would they have used him as effectively as Oregon used him? You know, Survey says. he needed to change the scenery. He needed to change the scenery. Yeah. There's no question. It's just, I mean. It feels like they're making a turn towards conservatism. That's what it feels like. And maybe it's not. Maybe they just are dynamic and crazy and Reese with better players is awesome. But, but it does feel like. brings up an interesting question. Did Nick Saban just do the same thing? No, he searched. Like I said, at why? I mean, he no, tried no, no. to get. No, no. I'm asking. Did he just make a little bit of a turn back toward a more conservative offensive style? Yeah, no doubt. Or at least based on what we know, with sample size at Notre Dame and what they looked like and what they did, and you know, Saban has control over everything, but he does appear to let his offensive guys do their thing. So. Sure. Uh, Vito says that Alabama, it might be that Saban understands that Monroe, Jalen Monroe, is not Jalen Hurts or Tua or Mac Jones or Bryce Young. Didn't look like it in his one game last year. Milrow. Jalen Milrow. He's probably not going to be the starter, though. Ty Simpson is probably going to be the starter at Alabama who people close to the Alabama program quietly were willing to say that 
Ty Simpson might be the best of this run of quarterbacks that we've had, which you kind of got to whisper that when you look at Jalen Hurts quarterbacking the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl, Tua Tagovailoa as a starter in the NFL for the Miami Dolphins, Mac Jones as a Heisman finalist and in the NFL, Bryce Young as a Heisman winner, and a National Championship game appearance. When, when you're saying that about a guy who hasn't taken a snap, you better not say it real loud. But it does speak to what they believe they have in terms of a talent with Ty Simpson. We'll see. You'd be hard-pressed to find somebody around that Alabama program, though, that thinks Jalen Milrow is going to be the starter at quarterback this year. They don't. Do we have a corral plumley situation working here? Where Milrow is plumley? Where people people outside the program think it's going to be Milrow, but people inside the program think it's going to be Simpson. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe. That, because maybe they saw Milrow the and he looked he ran the ball well a couple times. Yeah. Does he play piano? I was about to ask if he play piano. Okay. What about the dimples? More coming up with you, Sports Talk Mississippi in the Pearl River Resort Studios after this. I listen to it at work. At work. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. Did you get that memo? Yes, sir. Basketball action is underway tonight in the SEC. Game one is Vanderbilt at South Carolina. They're just underway in Columbia. South Carolina scored first. They made a basket, made it two to nothing. Then Liam Roberts hit a three. Then Miles Studi hit a three. Then Trey Thomas hit a three. It's now nine to two. Vanderbilt, four and a half minutes in. Vandy's trying to get above 500 in conference play. They are 13 and 12 overall and 6 and 6 in the SEC. South Carolina picked up its second conference win last Saturday in Oxford. They are 9 and 16 overall. Kind of a light schedule tonight. We're, we're used to getting a marquee game on Tuesday night. I guess the marquee game is the one that tips off at 6 o'clock on ESPN2. Missouri is at Auburn. Auburn is a a six-and-a-half-point favorite, which is a little interesting considering how well Missouri has been playing. They are 7-5 and in the league, so is Auburn, but Auburn has lost five of its last six games. Hmm. I think that's right. And then at 7.30 tonight on SEC Network, you've got LSU at Georgia. LSU 1-11 in the league, Georgia. Five and seven. Mike White's first year. They're five and seven in the league. They've had a couple of kind of inexplicable losses, but a couple of kind of inexplicable wins mixed in there as well. So not a bad first year for uh, for Mike White and the Georgia Bulldogs. Lenardi has Alabama as a one seed. We talked about that yesterday. Tennessee is a three seed. 
Mississippi State is first in the group of last four in. Auburn is a team that is trending in the wrong direction. Auburn is now first of the last four buys. So right now they are still not just in the tournament, but in the big bracket. But not going in the right direction at all, and a home loss tonight to Missouri certainly would not help them. Currently the SEC projected to have seven in the tournament, and that includes Kentucky out and Florida out, but Mississippi State in. So your your SEC teams that are currently projected to be in, Alabama as a one seed, Tennessee as a three seed, Missouri is a seven, Arkansas as a nine, Texas A&M as a ten, Auburn as a ten, Mississippi State as an eleven, and again currently on the last four in. Kentucky is in the group of first four out, Florida is in the under consideration category, but they're at number 81 on Joe Lenardi's seed lines. All of this conversation pulls us back to Starkville, where Mississippi State could reach back and just punch Kentucky right on out of the conversation. Or, if Kentucky wins, Mississippi State could see itself backslide a little bit and be very much in that, you know, last team in the field, first four out conversation group. Yeah. A win probably takes you into the first four buys or maybe just solidly in at that point. Um, but if you lose, yeah, I think you're going to backslide out into the the next four, or the, the first four out or the next four out or, or something like that. You just have to continue to, to struggle, and you've got to find another win. You know, if, if you lose to Kentucky, then Texas A&M, Vanderbilt, at Missouri, those become games where you got to find a win in there somewhere. So. I mean, it's just an absolutely massive game for the Bulldogs on a, on on, two, on Wednesday night. I kind of think if you lose to Kentucky, you probably got to win two of those three that you just mentioned. Maybe, maybe, maybe. You know, I just, I just don't know how it's going to play because when you go to Nashville, if you win a couple games there, what does that mean? I, I don't know. I don't know. But the, the 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 fact of the matter is, State still has work to do. There's no way of getting around that. You know, they're not solidly in by any stretch of the imagination. A win on Wednesday puts them in pretty solidly, but they could easily backslide and get that out. That's the thing with State. I mean, they've played really well these past five games. There's no getting around that. But we can't forget sure. that how they played in, in the seven or eight previous games, and how when they couldn't score. So that you know that team is still sort of out there. A bad shooting night. I mean, you're, you're, they're going to be in trouble. So you know how yesterday, Borky, Mississippi State slid a spot in the net rankings from 40 to 41 without playing a game? You know what they did today? Moved up two. They they, they climbed a spot without playing a game from 41 to 40. (laughs) Nice. They are are sitting right there at 40 in the uh, the net rankings. When you look at the SEC, and and kind of you're looking at this through the lens of what's left for Mississippi State. Alabama is at two. Obviously, Mississippi State doesn't have to play them again, but Alabama being at two and Tennessee being at three is good for Mississippi State. Yes, between those two teams, they have a combined four losses. 
But those are four losses that honestly help you. If you're a Mississippi State fan, you're cheering like heck for Arkansas the rest of the way. Because they're at 23 in the net. That's going to be a quad one win regardless because it was on the road. But the more Arkansas wins down the stretch, the better that win looks. You got Texas A&M coming up. Say what? I'm going to say Utah is the team that you really have an eye on if you're a Mississippi State fan. They're 52 in the net. If they can get into the top 50, that becomes a quad one win for you, beating them on a neutral floor. Uh, They play Arizona, the number eight team in the country, on Thursday. And then the week after that, they play UCLA, the number four team in the country. If they could somehow find a win in one of those two games, that would be massive for Mississippi State because they'd pick up another quad one win. Yeah. And there, and there's 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 one game on Mississippi State's schedule that is just it's like it's highlighted and underlined and it's got flashing lights on it. That's their win against Marquette. Yeah. Marquette's twenty That's and six one. on the year. And Marquette has eight quad one and two wins. Mississippi State's got a win against Marquette. Mm-hmm. On a neutral floor. That one's going to that's that's going to stand up. That is a, a benefit on the bubble. You've got an upcoming game with Texas A and M, who's at thirty four. They're going to get into quad one before that before that game. I can feel it. Who A and M is? Yeah, I think they'll win a couple more games. Um, Auburn is at thirty five. Missouri is at forty four. And frankly, you want Missouri to probably win another couple of games before you go play them. Because the better they are, the better a win, the better your previous win against them looks, and the better a win against them on the road would look. Yeah. Kentucky's at 45. That's a solid quad two opportunity. Mm -hmm. State's going to be fine if they win games down the stretch. They just are. The Wednesday but they night have slate, to win those games. Yeah, they do. The Wednesday night slate's better than the, the Tuesday night slate this week. Ole Miss is at Florida at 5.30 tomorrow night, so they'll be playing at this time tomorrow. Alabama is at Tennessee. Guess who's favored in that game, boys? By Tennessee. Tennessee is favored by, by two favorite. and a half. Yeah. Kentucky's a favorite over State. Kentucky, uh, no. Mississippi State is a, is now a favorite against Kentucky. They're two and a half point favorite, based on what okay. I'm looking at right now. That's, that is that is switched over though. And uh, Texas A and M is favored at home against Arkansas. So, h- home favorites all the way around tomorrow night. Yeah, if A and M wins that game, they'll probably jump into the 30s. Jump 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 up to 30 or better. The only problem with A&M's resume is that they've got a they've got an anchor around their neck. They've got two they quad bad four non-conference losses. losses. Yeah. yeah. If they had been good in the non-conference, they would probably be pushing for like a 2 or 3 seed. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. It's the loss to Wofford and there's one other one yeah. in there. I don't remember who it was to. I looked at it yesterday and I can't remember who it was, but they had they had three losses in non-conference and it made you go what what happened? Texas with A&M was 6 and 5 before Christmas. Yeah. And they've now won 12 of their last 14. So, 
And there's some big ones left uh, on the schedule for Mississippi State. Tomorrow night's huge. The home game against A&M's huge. The road trip to Missouri is huge. And then they're obviously, I mean, the, the trip to Oxford in, what, a week and a half. That's huge for a different reason. It's, it's big in the, the sense that you, you can't lose that game. And don't you know that, I mean, as, as poorly as this season has gone for Ole Miss, I mean, that, that may be like the Custer's last stand for Ole Miss and Kermit Davis. Like, you can't do anything but spoil. And There's I mean, something that, to that. Spoiling, spoiling your rival season. There's something to get motivated there. That's yeah. what the Lions said about the Packers. They found out they weren't getting in the playoffs, and Coach, in the pregame interview, said, we're not getting in. We're going to make sure they can't either. Yeah, that would be quite the baby Ruth in the punch bowl for Mississippi State. Sports Talk Mississippi. <laughs> we'll wrap it up next with you. Okay, what we do next? Keep it moving, buddy. You can be a part of Sports Talk Mississippi. 888 8637 on Super Talk Mississippi. Porky, you're a big crypto guy, aren't you? No. I like making fun of crypto. <laughs> Elon Musk and billionaire Fox News founder Robert Murdoch sat together in a suite at the Super Bowl on Sunday. And when Twitter users started speculating what the two moguls were discussing, the platform's CEO offered a one-word reply, Dogecoin. The tweet caused the digital asset to spike by as much as 6%. Just got to follow his Congrats. tweets. That and Nancy's stock holdings. Mm. You'll get rich off of those, buddy. Big money. Mm. That's the one I'm thing. i hurt today, guys. Yeah? Neither one of you said, like, hey, hey, Dad, those are, your new glasses look good. No, no, neither one of you. I didn't know you had on new glasses. I, I'm not into complimenting men's fashion. I, I, I'm just saying, you know. Happy really Valentine's Day, I got my Day, old though. man glasses. These are my, my old man glasses. These are bifocals. Really? Mm-hmm. Did that hurt? I gotta look down. Did it hurt? Yeah. To get like, them, you mean? Like no, my yeah, pride? Like your, like your ego well, and your pride. They, uh, you know, they've been telling me I need them for three years, and I finally reached the point where I was like, yeah, I do need them. So I, I, I swallowed my pride at some point. So gotta look down to read now. You know, just gonna yeah. Give it that number right there. I kind of wish you had gotten readers where you like had to prop them on the end of your had nose. Had to prop them on the nose? No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and these are uh, these are transitions too. So I finally have some shades. You know, when we go out in the sun, I can have sunglasses on. Oh, you do have old man glasses, don't you? Yeah, you do. Yeah. What was you uh, Chancellor Gumball's name? Dark. You want now? Yeah. Say it again. Yeah, Say it's it those. Time. What what was uh, Chancellor yeah, yeah. Chancellor Gumball's real name? <laughs> Jeffrey Vitter. Yeah, Jeff Vitter. He wore transitions. You okay. and you and Jeff Vitter, Spider Man meme. We have we have two things in common. We wear transitions, and we both would love to take down Ole Miss. He certainly tried. Wow. Um, <laughs> he gave it his best shot. Hey, Dad, is there any concern that uh, your comment earlier about your wife um, has made it to her, 
and and you will. I've spoken to my wife since then, and there's nothing. Nothing's been said. I'm gonna tell tell her about it when I get home. I ain't afraid of her. You think she'll laugh? Yes. Or she'll just roll her eyes at you. Or she, yeah, she'll just roll her eyes at me like you're an idiot, and won't be any different than any other day in my house. Oh yeah, yeah, there you go. You you have three women in your house. You you took care of the uh, the Valentine's day I stuff. Have, yeah. There, there you go. Yeah, flowers this morning, and uh, I got candy here in the fridge to take take home. Beautiful, beautiful. Little little Valentine's happy for James. Oh, he had a big day at school today. Yeah, did he have to? Did he have to take Valentine's for all of his classmates? Didn't have to, but but they like you know suggested it, and we did that. And it's funny. I, I respect the heck out of his teachers because. They understand that it's a room full of three-year-olds and some upper-tier two-year-olds. They said that... (laughs) Upper-tier two-year-olds. That uh, they they made sure that no candy was eaten at school today. That they sent it all home in his bag so we could control the sugar intake. I respect Mm. that move. Because sugar to a three-year-old might as well be like hard drugs. I mean, it it turns, I mean, it's, seriously, James is a wonderfully behaved three-year-old boy. I don't know how we got so lucky. He he is soft, he's calm, he listens well enough for that age, he's very, like, observant, he's not just all in, wide open, let me just destroy everything, very, very nice kid. And then he has too much sugar. And it's like he turns into the spawn of Satan. It's like, <laughs> like, what are you? Like, you're not. It's not who are you. It's what did you become after you've had sugar? So I appreciated that message very much from the school. That was like, hey, got a bunch of candy. They didn't have any. It's in his bag for you to decide whether or not you want to give it to him. I thought, thank you. We we'll get the kids some Twizzlers. In you, you know what? You know what caused that? And and it's my wife that figured it out for Obi. Behavior issues, not because of sugar, but because of red food dye. Oh, man. His reaction to red food dye is no bueno. So so no Twizzlers for him is what you're telling me. No Twizzlers for him. No. No Twizzlers for him. All right. So. Yeah, I, it's it's crazy how something that you wouldn't think of. I, I was talking to a friend about this last week where they have a four-year-old, and they changed... They took some things out of his diet. Not like they made him go vegan, but it was stuff like that. <laughs> it, but it was little things like that. And, and they said, different kid. Hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. It's almost like our parents were onto something with the whole eat your vegetables thing. Pretty much, yeah. It's like like they're good for you, hey, Dad? I wish they had pushed that a little harder, to be honest with you. <laughs> Upon further review, thanks for being with us. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Pearl River Resort Studios. Enjoy your Tuesday evening as you wrap up Valentine's Day. We will be back with you tomorrow. We'll have plenty of hoops to talk about one day closer to the start of baseball season. And going to have an interview with Mike Bianco tomorrow afternoon. This is Sports Talk Mississippi in the Pearl River Resort Studios. Good night.
Running a business is tough. If you're struggling with HR benefits and payroll, you're not alone. Many businesses just don't have the resources to keep up. That's where MWG Employer Services comes in. We provide a full range of employer services with everything from payroll to benefits to HR services and compliance and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. We're a Mississippi-based company that can help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Call MWG Employer Services today at 601-206-7966 or go to MWG Employer Services A Super Talk Mississippi media production. 